Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Hallelujah. Well, before we go another moment, let's just turn to God. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place here this morning. We thank you that we have the freedom where we can just come and worship you and lift up your name. That we can just freely and boldly come into your presence, your throne of grace, where we receive help in our time of need. We thank you, Father, that whatever we need is found in you. And so to you we run. Right now we just ask for wisdom. And your word says that if any man asks for wisdom, that you give to them liberally. And so we receive your liberal wisdom this morning. We thank you that you fill us to overflow with your revelation knowledge. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to take hold with us this morning as we open up the word that you inspired. We thank you that you lead us and guide us into all truth. You show us things to come. You bring things to our remembrance. You lead us in paths of peace. And you show us how to glorify the Father even more. Oh, we just thank you, Holy Spirit. We give you freedom. We thank you that even as we open up your word, people's bodies are healed. Because your word says that you sent your word and healed them. And so we just open up our hearts to receive wisdom, direction, understanding, health, love, joy, peace. Oh, Father, we just thank you that there's nothing that we lack in you. You said in Peter that we, you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so we thank you for it. We give you praise now in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, we are now on week three of a series we've been doing called Accepted in the Beloved, and I've just been having such a great time preaching this message. You know, I, I always enjoy myself, but every once in a while we get into a series where it's like, God, this is what I needed. And so I go, I go back after, usually Sunday afternoon, and I sit down, and I listen, and I go, oh, I don't even remember saying that. I need to write that down, you know, because <laughs> yeah, I just believe the Holy Spirit meets all of us where we're at, even me while I'm having to preach the message to you. And as we draw from Him, He gets to you what you need. Yeah. You know, uh, my parents taught us young that put a demand on the Holy Spirit. What, do you, what does that mean? It means when you come into any type of service or you go to pray or you go to open up your word, you say, Father, I thank you that I'm receiving right now. Yeah. And I've never been disappointed when I do that. And so accepted in the beloved, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, that's exactly what God has said about us. Paul told us that God, he, has made us accepted in his beloved. So it's important that we always start off on this footing, that this is what he has done for us. This is not a work that we obtained on ourselves, and we can't approve upon it. You know, I like what one minister said. He said, a lot of people treat the work of Jesus kind of like it's this masterpiece hanging on the wall. Maybe it's a Van Gogh or a Rembrandt, and then we come up with our watercolors and crayons, and we try to add to its beauty. No, you just take away from its value. We need to look at what God has said about us and how he views it and let that become the anchor of our lives because you're going to have so many different feelings and thoughts as you go throughout. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. There's going to be days where you just feel, don't feel like adulting. But you know what? That doesn't change the promise of God. That doesn't change the provision of God. That doesn't change the wisdom of God. And that certainly doesn't change the word of God. 
And so we may be up and down, but it stays firm every day, every moment, and what it says is true. Say, I believe. believe. So he has made us accepted in the beloved. And and that whole phrase, or whole thought process, started back in verse 3, where it says, All praise to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. And so every blessing that heaven had to offer has already been poured out on your behalf because of your union with Christ. Well, I don't feel very blessed. Stop asking your feelings what they think. Somebody asked Smith Wigglesworth once and said, how are you feeling today, Smith? He said, I don't ask Smith how he feels. I tell Smith how he feels. <laughs> and so we have been blessed with all. Every is the word all in the Greek. Every spiritual blessing. There's nothing that heaven held back He poured it into you because of your union with Christ. Why? Because when you've been put together into one with Christ, he didn't leave anything behind. So for you to say that you lack, you have to realize you're failing to acknowledge that you are right like this with Jesus. He has made you one together. He has brought you in. It says he has made you, he has raised you up and made to sit together with him on the right hand of the Father. So it's because of our union. And so at this church, you'll hear a lot about in Christ realities, what you has been done for you and what is available to you because of you being placed in Christ. But the next verse goes on and says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. If you're having a bad day, just remember God loved you first. He loved you and he chose you to us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And we've been putting the emphasis on that he says that he did this even before he made the world. So before you were even a thought, before humanity had ever taken its first breath in Adam, God had already loved you and chose you. Because he sees all points at the same time. It says Ezekiel describes him as a wheel within a wheel. He's the center wheel, we're the outer wheel, and we perceive time like this, and he touches it all at the same time. He's not surprised by our failings. I think sometimes he goes, why? Why? But he doesn't surprise him. He's already seen it, and he's already sent Jesus to deal with it. And so before you were a thought in your parents' eyes, before you would ever screwed up, ever had your best day, God has already decided he loved you, he chose you, and he's blessed you. And last week, we ended with this verse, that husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for us. Man, the reason why that's an important to look at is because if we don't understand how Christ has loved us as the church, we're not going to adequately be able to let that flow into the relationships around us. Particularly in this one, the relationship between husbands and wives. You know, there's been so many marriages that have been breaking up more and more and more every day, so much that they say that the marriage rate is going down because people are just like, there's been so many failures, why should I even bother getting married? Well, you know what? The love of God solves that. Because when we understand his sacrificial nature of love, it stops us from being selfish. 
and we give all of ourselves, and when both parties give 100% of themselves, marriages flourish. There's no 50-50 garbage. There's no us, mine, and yours. There's the us. It's not the message, so we're going to continue on. But it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. But if we read this in his context, the next verse says, the reason why he gave himself is to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. When did he wash you? Well, what does John call Jesus? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The blood of Jesus has washed you clean. And it says, and he did this to present her to himself. He did the work and brought us in. A glorious church without spot or wrinkle, without any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And so that's where we see that Paul's having the same train of thought in Ephesians chapter 1, that God has done a work. The blood of Jesus has washed you white as snow. You remember the old song? What has washed away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. He has done a work in us. And so whenever the enemy tries to remind you of your shortcomings, and yes, you have, you have a lot. You have to understand. Okay, okay. Jordan, you have a lot. People listening on the camera, you have a lot. Okay, does that make take the pressure off? Does that take the pressure off? <laughs> Just because we feel that way doesn't mean that's the way he feels about us. It says he's placed our sins and our faults as far as the east is from the west. That means you'll never find them. Because if you head east, you'll only ever head east. If you head west, you'll only ever head west. It's not like this north-south garbage where, you know, you get north and then you start heading south. You can't find them. It says the, the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, he has wiped them out. And it says God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself. So there again we see it was him who did the work bringing us to him through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So never think that God did it because he had to. God did it because he wanted to. Because before the world was even created, he loved you and he chose you. And I think as a natural father, what would I not do for my kids? It says verse 6, so, so we praise God for the, glory, for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. And I reminded you that the new living cuts out our key verse. It says, accepted in the beloved. But the next verse says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And he showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. And God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. Now, this, when Paul uses mysterious or, mysteri uh, or the mystery, he uses it four times in the book of Ephesians, but he uses it throughout his other writings as, mean, as well. And what he means by mysterious is the word, Greek word mysterion, which basically means it was hidden to be revealed at a certain time. 
And so that's why it's important that we always read the Bible through the lens of the New Testament and the work of Jesus. If you look at the Old Testament as a standalone, you will miss out because there's things that they didn't understand and didn't know because the time was not ready for them to be revealed. And so here Paul's saying God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill his own great pleasure. I like what Paul says in another place. He says, and this is the mystery. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he has made us accepted in the beloved. And last week we took another deep dive into the word accepted, which is the word karutu, which means he has pursued us with his grace. He's encompassed us with his favor and he has honored us with blessings. And we took it even further and we looked at what it means to be pursued. He has overtaken us. He has captured us. He has killed the old man and he has defeated death, hell, and the grave on our behalf. It says that he arose with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. It says that he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. There is no devil in hell or enemy that can stop you when you walk with God because he's done a work for you on your behalf when he pursued you by his grace, his unmerited, his undeserved favor. And we have been accepted into his beloved. So this morning, I want to focus on the last part, that you are God's beloved. You are the one God loves. I like what Joseph Prince says. He's like, you know, you can get into any cab in New York City and say, God loves you, and your response will be, oh, yeah, yeah, God loves all of us. Oh, yeah, man, God loves us. No, but do you understand that God loves you? It's very different when you begin to personalize things because then there becomes a responsibility. Okay, what does that mean that God loves me? If God loves me, wow. Why? Why does God love me? Because you're his kid. You are God's beloved. We have become the object of the expression of God's love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. It's the same word that's used here in the beloved as they used the love in John 3.16. For God so loved, he put his love into action and sent Jesus. And now you are his beloved and his love is in action in your life. All of those verses that I've read from Ephesians chapter 1 from 3 through 10 are all active verses. It's showing what God does and has did on your behalf an action that he has gone through we can often look as love as passive when we say oh yeah i love that person you know i i i had a friend and we called him the i love you whore and the reason why is because he said i love you to everybody one time we were at walmart and he said to the cashier i love you and then he was like oh wait I, i'm like you realize you've made that word so cheap <laughs> But you know, God loves you with an unending love that can't ever fail and ever end. We read that word beloved with it being the word agapeo, that when it's used in an an, an accusative sense, that it means that he's unwilling to even consider a future without it. And so sometimes when we look at love, it's like, oh yeah, love. Oh yeah, he loves us. He loves us. No, no. He loves 
you. Well, you know, love is not a feeling, Pastor Jordan. Really? You're telling me that I can feel the love my kids have for me, but I won't be able to feel the love God has for me? I can feel the love my dogs have for me, but I can't feel the love that God has for me? You can experience and begin to interact with the love of God. You know, each one of my kids loves a little different. Harrison, he loves through time. Will you sit with me? Will you color with me? Will you just be here beside me? Will you do this puzzle with me? And when we do those things, oh, you just feel his love. Pierce. He seems a little cold sometimes. <laughs> but every morning when he gets up, he comes to daddy and he slaps me on the back. <laughs> and then he snuggles in beside me. Gummy. When he wakes up in the morning, he runs to us and just wraps his arm around our neck and holds. Bennett, he loves for you to sit down and watch a show and he wants to sit on your lap. My dogs, when I pull in the driveway, we open the door, Harley's like right up on my lap and I'm like, back off dog, back off. When love is expressed, you feel it, and you experience it. The love of God is no different. You can feel it, and you can experience it. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. But last week we said, just because you are accepted in the beloved doesn't mean you've accepted your place in the beloved he has accepted you in but you know that acceptance is mutual he has provided salvation for all of the world but not all of them have received it his love has put out his hand to everyone but he said it's not a one-sided relationship and so we can be fully loved by god and still keep the walls up and so we need to learn to let the walls of our heart down. And this isn't always easy because we often look at life through the eyes that we have. But you realize not everyone grew up the same way you did. You may have had a great childhood with great parents and great siblings and uh, other people didn't. And so we need to understand that some people walk around life guarded, closed off and that they'd re need, they require more love expressed than others for them to relearn how to let those walls down. You know, Paul said that some of us have seared consciences that have been seared with a hot iron. But you know that God is the great physician and he can heal that? Yeah. What did he say in the Old Testament? That I'll take out the stony heart and I'll give them a heart of flesh again? And as we receive God's love, it enables us to love people in that position so that their hearts begin to be mended. You are the only Jesus that some people will ever see. You are the only Bible they will ever read. That's why Paul says we're living epistles. 
We take the word we implanted in our hearts and let it live through us in the eyes of those who've never seen it. And so we need to learn to let the walls of our heart down. And so I want to go back this morning to the story of the prodigal son again. And the last two weeks we've been there, but I want to put more focus on the second son. Because oftentimes when this parable is used, the emphasis is on the first son. And they often call it the story of the prodigal son. But do you realize how the story starts? It says a man had two sons which means both of them are equally vital to the point of this story. This story is actually about the love of the father who had two very different sons. And so the first son, we know a lot about him. He asked for his inheritance. He basically said, I wish you were dead, dad. He took the money and he ran and he spent it all. He ends up starving and hungry, feeding pigs, and he decides, I'm going to go back to my father. I won't be a son anymore, but at least if I'm a servant, I'll get food. That was his thought process. What about the other son? In verse 25 of chapter 15, it says, Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. And he said, Your brother is back. Come on. Oh, too far. Gotta love technology, don't you? Oh, oh. We're a little frozen reconnecting let it go <laughs> come on it says your brother is back and your father has killed the fattened calf and we are celebrating because of his safe return and the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in and his father came out and begged him so you notice that the father's response is the same for both kids. As soon as son number one is seen entering the property, he comes running. As soon as he realizes the older son has not partaken in the party, he comes. And so regardless of whatever situation you are found yourself in, God always shows up on the scene. And that's why we, we need to do a better work, a job of displaying this to the world because so many people believe they need to clean themselves up before they can come to God, not realizing God is already right there. Yeah. He's not afraid to jump into the mud yeah. because that's where you find diamonds, right? You find it in the dirt. And so the brother was angry, so the father comes to him. So the response the father had was both the same for both kids. Now, what was the response of the first son? Because this is where the difference is. It's between how they respond. What was the response of the first son? His idea was, Let's come, let me come back. I'm not going to be a son. Let me be a servant. And so he starts his spiel. He says, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father cuts him off and says, Bring the robe! Bring the sandals. Get me the ring. Now, he wasn't just trying to bling the son up. He, what the ring represented was he was bringing him the signet ring that meant that he had now had access to that family's resources again. If he wanted to purchase something, he could stamp the ring in the wax. He had access once again. Now, what had the, the son done to redeem himself at this point? Nothing. 
and the father restored him right back. But what was the response of the older brother when the father came to him? All these years I've slaved for you. Think about that. That it alone tells you his, uh, his opinion of the father. He doesn't receive love. He doesn't see love. He doesn't feel love. He thinks his father is the taskmaster. How many have met Christians that feel that way about God? That he's the one to be obeyed because he ha- you have to or else. Well, love goes first. And I've found that you'll do infinitely more when you're loved than when you're forced to. And he says, and I've never once refused to do a single thing you've told me. Meaning his works were in his mind, not the Father's works. He was thinking about how mean God was and everything he's had to do for him. And he says, in all that time, you've never gave me even one young goat in a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours has come back after squandering your money on prostitutes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where in the story does it say that? How does he know? He hasn't had contact with the brother. It just says that he went out and spent his, his, his money on riotous living. It just meant he had parties, he had a good time. It doesn't say anything about prostitutes. And it says, and now you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? You realize that people who don't know how to love often have a dim view of those around them? But this is what love says. In 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it says, love bears up under anything, and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. And so he's not interacting with love even though he's spent his life in the presence of love. And so many of us can do the very same thing that we've been Christians our entire life but have never learned to be able to go, I receive your love, God. And to allow it to influence us. But the father, he ignores all that and he says, look, dear son, it didn't change the love of the father. And he says, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Just like the first son that he put the ring on his finger. Whatever the household has is now yours. Use the resources of the kingdom. So which mindset do you have of God's love? Now there's times that I've gone through life where I think I've been more like the older brother. And there's times where I feel like I've given up like the first son and just said, okay, put the robe on. But we can become consistent in our response to God by practicing what we need to do. You know, John said this in 1 John 4, 16, we've known and believed the love that God has for us. Meaning there's a difference about knowing God loves you and believing he loves you. What does believe mean? That's the word pisteos, which basically means faith in action. Faith means to have an unwavering trust or belief. Meaning, John got to a point where not only did he know the love of God, he had an unwavering trust and belief that the love never leaves him. The love never fails him, and the love is always available to him. And how did he get that way? 
Well, we told you last week that six times in the book of John, the gospel of John alone, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I fully believe that that's not a new thing when he sat down to write that. You realize he wrote that book later in his life? This is something that John had spent many years developing within himself. I am the one whom God loves. Which is why I gave you homework last week. I wanted you to say in the morning and the evening, God, I'm so glad you love me and gave yourself for me. I receive your love now. You have poured your love into my heart and I will love as you love me. And when you become more aware of what he has said about his love, it makes it easier to walk in. We don't miss it because we've been looking for it. It's kind of like when you buy a new car and you feel like nobody else around has that particular color and style and then you buy it and you're driving down the road and like on the way home you see like six of them (laughs) because you're now focused and you become aware. Everyday opportunities are passing us by. God's love is in action in our lives and we become aware we can grab hold. Mm-hmm. So back to 1 John 4. John says, beloved. So now the term that God uses for us, John is now beginning to take on and use for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because the love he received, he now gives. Yeah. And he says, let us continue to love one another. Now, if that just popped in my head. He says, let us continue. Some of us need to learn how to start. I digress. Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You realize you can be a Christian but not know the depths of God's love? And the more we begin to know the love of God, John says the more we just begin to use the love of God. And it says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. But religion has been telling us for years, you gotta love God, you gotta love God, you gotta love God. Just short circuit that whole process and focus on his love and love won't be an issue for you. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's think about this for a second. There's two things that you can do with a mirror. You can focus on yourself or you can be a reflection of something else. And he says that we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Which way is your mirror facing? Are you focused on everything about you? Or are you reflecting everything that he is?
Paul said in Romans 8, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hunger or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? You know, people that I respect, I've heard them say before, oh, you know, we've gotten into some trouble so we need to see where we missed it. We've done something to hold back God's provision in our lives. Is that even possible? Just because the situation you find yourself in is less than ideal doesn't mean God has stopped loving for you. Let's drop to verse 37. It says, come on, behave. (laughs) No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So despite of where you find yourself, the love of God is still there that wants to work with you to bring you into overwhelming victory. So stop staying in there and look for the love that God is pouring down upon you because it'll bring you through. That's why I always like the imagery that David said in the Psalms. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Well, one of these days, God's going to show up and deliver me from this. One of these days. Don't make a camp in the moment of your despair. Make a victory shout. Put a dance on and walk through. Because he says, and I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor fears for today or worries for tomorrow and not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Nor powers in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. 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 So where you are right now, God's love is full focused on you to lead you into overwhelming victory. Okay, let's start bringing this in for a landing. If we jump back over into the book of Ephesians, in chapter 3, it starts like this. When I think of all this, Okay, what's Paul thinking of? He's thinking of Ephesians chapter 1 that we just, we've gone through where it talks about that we are accepted in the beloved, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, that we've been loved, we've been chosen, that his mysterious plan has been revealed. It goes into chapter 2 where it says that by grace you have been saved through faith, that he has raised you up and made you to sit together in heavenly places where he sits that everything is he's far above all principality and power he gets down to verse 10 of chapter 2 where it says and we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that he has prepared for us that word workmanship is you are God's masterpiece and that's the last thing he's thinking about when he says and when I think about this I Paul a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the benefit of you Gentiles. Now, we have to understand that physically, Paul is the prisoner of the Roman Empire at this point. He's writing this on house arrest, but he views himself as the prisoner of Christ Jesus instead. 
What do you want to get in bed with? What do you want to lock yourself into? Paul decided, I may be a physical prisoner of Rome, but I am the prisoner of Christ Jesus first. And that's why I said that the word accepted, karutsu, is, accepted is kind of inadequate, that captured is a better term to be put there. I have been captured by my beloved Jesus. And so Paul views himself as that he has been, there's not, he might as well just surrender. He's stuck with God. And verse 8, he says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Whoo! And he says, I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan. There is that word again. The mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. And God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. God is wanting to use you. That's why he made you holy. That means set apart for his use. He's wanting to use you to put you on display so that others can see the love of God at work. He says this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. And because of Christ, come on, be nice to me. <laughs> Because, there we go. Because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So he says, so, so don't lose heart because of my trials here. You know, Paul wasn't surprised by what he was going through. You want to look at his conversion? The first thing, he's blind. God sends Ananias to him and says, go tell Paul the things he must suffer for me. Paul knew where it ended for him, and he said, I would, I would gladly go through that to show the love of Christ to others. He says, you should feel honored. And when I think of all this, and this leads us into Paul's second Ephesians prayer, and so with all the things we've talked about in, my, in mind, here's Paul praying. I fall to my knees, and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. You realize that when you're weak, he's strong? So when you feel weak, let him strengthen you. It says then, Christ will make his home in you, in your hearts, as you trust in him. Now catch this next part. Your roots will go, grow down into God's love and keep you strong. You realize understanding his love keeps you strong? It didn't say they'll grow down into God's power. It didn't say they'll grow down into God's justice. It didn't say it'll grow down into God's sovereignty, supremacy, any other word we could put in there. It says that we grow, keep strong when we let our roots grow down into God's love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, 
how long, how high, and how deep his love is. So he wants us to have an understanding, but understanding is not enough. The next verse says, and may you experience the love of Christ. Though it's too great to fully understand, you'll never find the boundaries because God doesn't have boundaries. And if God is love, neither does his love. He says, and then you will be made complete. Think about that for a second. So many people are trying to believe themselves into a position of completion or into a good place when love is the thing that brings you through the doors. Complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Hmm. You want to see your dreams that God has placed into your heart come to pass? The path for them is through his love because it strengthens you. It opens up your mind to understand things that your limited mind can't. You know, I really appreciate Christopher's worship set this morning. I don't talk to him about what he's planning or what I'm planning, but he starts off with the song, Your Love Won't Give Up On Me. And then he goes into, and I just want to be with you. Because when you're with him, he rubs off. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. How do you imitate Christ if you're not with him? Toph, why don't you just play something quickly here at the end? Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? I just think it's best that we just end in an atmosphere of love and worship.
Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. So as we leave here this morning, we leave with the understanding and the focus on that we are loved by the Father and we have been accepted by Him. Hallelujah. Let's take that with us and let's show the world. You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful morning, day. <laughs> let's have some coffee.